You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, so, for those of you who haven't met, my name is Josh. Uh, one of the beautiful uh, constellations of stars here here tonight, and the performers we have, and and all the people here today. I really thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for you being here. Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land. Uh, the Boonwurrung and Wurundji people of the Kulin Nation. And I, like I'm sure all of you, uh, pay my respects to elders past, present, and future. Um, before we get into it, uh, my co-collaborator and partner Shannon's going to just explain why we're here today and why we're gathering. And then from there, we'll uh, get into it. So thank you for coming, everyone, especially our performers. We admire you all very much. <laughs> Um, so foreground maps the crossways between poetry, spoken word, performance, and sound. So you'll see all of that in semi-improvised, semi-prepared ways tonight. And I'll share a little about what we were thinking about as we were creating this event. And it's ever-evolving, and we hope that it evolves beyond this moment as well. We felt that words were containers of feeling. So we'd like to speak firstly to language and its inability to encompass the enormity and complexity of our interior and exterior worlds. I'd also like to speak to its naivety and its studiousness because there is a beauty in language's constant striving to be better, to be more inclusive and sensitive and attuned to the nuances of what it is to be human. And you may ask what role a poem plays in a weighty task such as this. We too have asked that question. And in hearing the poetry that you will hear today, we've been reminded of that feeling when poetry interrupts and really demands that it take up space in your being. Poetry is a way of lifting the raw materials of life into meaning. And poetry is perhaps like music, one of the only universal languages we share. Universal in its power to provoke feeling, compassion, and shared experience. And to speak what cannot be spoken. And to feel into a togetherness that cannot be named. So. Today we invite you to listen with the same passion that you would like to be heard. Welcome to Foreground. Um, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Aretha Brown. Um, I am an Indigenous activist and I'm 18 years old. I just finished high school. And I just wanted to say thank you guys for having me tonight. Um, and I think just to give my poem some, con some context, I'll kind of just explain a little bit about it. But um, yes, so I was born in Melbourne, but when I was little, I grew up in a community in northern New South Wales um, with all the mob up there. And in about year eight, I moved back down to Melbourne. And it was crazy for me to, this, this huge change in my life going from different schools, you know, um, from being, for the most part, a majority in a high school to suddenly being a minority and having to kind of deal with that, that major shift, you know, and... At the end of the day, when I speak and when I do poetry, um, I guess I just do it because my grandma couldn't, you know? Um, she wasn't allowed to speak her language. And that affects me because I can't speak it. And 
she you know didn't get to go to school or learn her culture so everything I do I guess I do for her so I'm gonna do it <laughs> today I declare this country fucked up for making me feel nervous and brittle like a teacup because if you ain't ever ridden the foot that sorry because if you ain't ever ridden the 172 Footscray night bus then I know you have never been set up so go and celebrate your man Captain Philip because I'm tired of this country's biggest cover-up are you that person who can sympathize more with black folks in the US but can't guess the black people whose land you exploit, profit and live off? And I'm sick of being ripped off, pissed off, stripped off of everything. Most people couldn't tell me a single Aboriginal tribe or tell me one Indigenous word. And I would know because I'm here yelling, but I ain't ever heard, but I ain't ever heard. I notice that you see that I'm light-skinned. A brown woman in a pale shell, a coconut, a half cast, this bitch in the wrong mask. And you must ask, so was my grandma. She was stolen generations. And yes, you have direct invitation over her lack of liberation, and so I'm mad. And so I do carry resentment, and I am scared of white people. And I'm going to be honest, because if the trees are my steeple, and this land, my country, a cathedral, then God is my witness. Pardon me, but... You're so well-spoken for an Aborigine, and so I must write it in my royal decree that you are the same but different, the same but, but blacker, the, the same but lazy, the, the same but uh, oversensitive, the same but dumber, the same but diseased, the same but different. But really, I'm trying all I can do. I mean, I just finished watching black comedy on ABC2, and... In my lounge room, I actually own a didgeridoo and I spent at least three hours on my summer holiday in the Kakadu. So, give me a pass. Um. So, what really supports the Westgate? Is it the concrete or the rails? Money or sales? No. It's the mob you will learn to appreciate. The good Aboriginal I have to dig deep down inside myself to create. The one I put on for my white friend's mothers to smother your expectation of me and what you think you know about being an Aborigine. But I'll be good, and I'll learn to conjugate my verbs and pronounce my words. <clears throat> gone, gone, gone. I'm going to the shops. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> um, because I say gone. I do not exist in this city's memory, and I do not exist in anybody's mind for the abro in this country. No one has the time. I exist in no reflections and I live on borrowed time at school. I don't learn nothing about my own clan or my own mob or my own tribe. I see that you watch my hair curl and you look at the breadth of my nose and you try and understand how this abro grows into an entity of such beauty and confidence and strut because you expect nothing of me. You're just glad that I showed up. Don't call me a man. Fields of thorns graze my skin. Don't question my race. Caution is an action I can't participate in anymore. Help me understand. I want to get to a point where passive aggressive nature is no longer my flaming friendship. I will burn before I sink again. It's too cold down there. I start to hyperventilate. Breathe in. Breathe out. I am the angry woman. The black bird searching for land. 
The title of exotic characteristics didn't come with the manual. I get lost in Ikea. Follow me up the stairs, check my bag twice. I promise the bed frame is at the cash register. I just want to sleep well, to rest my head, close my eyes and not fear the empty void my ego evaluates with delving into trauma from my past life. Don't hit me. I used to dream of looking like the women on TV. Marilyn, isn't she beautiful? Aretha, my God. I watch them glide across the room like angels, skirt raised to my chest, wear it like a dress, shy of seven. But my father never told me not to wear a skirt, never told me to wear a skirt. His father forgot to tell him not to hit children. People make me nervous, not in the kind that I fear, but that they fear me. Be gentle, poised, quiet, calmly nod and smile. Did you mess up? At any chance I get, I will put you down. I will suppress you, ridding you of your rights. You are my slave. You are your teacher. Am I him? The scars run deep. I am him. My blood is pure. Separate from him. I don't want to hear the voices anymore. Wanting for my voice, waiting for my voice to call the chime in. I hear it crack, softly spoken. I love you. Don't question my actions, respect my decisions. See where I stand, isn't much further from the sun than you. We can meet equilibrium, if only we open up. Let me meld between a firm belief and an empathetic heart. I blur the lines. I correct the course, this, na this narrative, to see the light directing all opportunity to your bedside table. I wish you happiness for that we can walk together one day. The brown, it makes sense when suspended by rope, pushed onto a bed, palm trees, waves, sand, begs your pardon will take you again. In it, in this place, state forest and cheese, concealed and hypervisible. They got away, stayed away. The conveyor, the conveyor belt left the burden for another time. And other, other, not quite brown, they will never enjoy not white, a full view. They fall, head cocked, prizing at, prizing at what is us. They touch, but don't ask. The lady said, sorry, ma'am, but you are so beautiful. Sorry, your face is so beautiful. Their cacophony of words Injure, and mine too. I hold my body bold, forging, incest spreading among them. They green with envy, I hearing red, too angry, volume high, or not enough. There is this crust, thick. They bother it through the stages, leaving an impermeable mark. Sometimes it is their heart, 
that draws blood once again. A body of assumptions, a mind coerced into trusting. Your prescribed narrative has me flattening and concealing, trying to be loud, though pillowy lips and building blocks reverse my progress. It is these marks from which resurrection trembles. If the end of one's youth is a thin slice of cheese, I ate mine standing in that room. All it takes to be a successful artist is to be hot and high on amphetamines and rich. Everything was pretty yellow, the sky and your heart, and probably mine was too, sitting there, sweating over books and limited time. Do you ever wonder if you've really fucked it? You know, looking at the ceiling, a straight couple probably discussing their engagement, sleeping very comfortably adjacently. And you've stopped paying attention, bodies snatched, hair laid to rest, in your kitchenette, cigarettes smell like toasted crumpets. I'd wondered if I'd ever loved somebody the way I loved you, and I probably hadn't. I mean, you can't love someone the same way you've loved another. To say though, uh, to you though, I say care. Care is more frightening than love to me because I'm hard to care for and I wasn't even sure how or if your cool speckled eyes did or why. The streets here smell like adolescence, like bubbles through a foil sleeve, riverside parkways. I liked looking at your face and smoking Eyes darting, hands darting, figuring you. I keep thinking about crying, like in a masturbatory way, but it doesn't come. Like as if tears could be porn as good as you, and I remember you giving me head in a tent when we were 16, and you're dead now. Fresh steel wrapped around the base, and the scent of eucalyptus hot in that morning. Your mum still writes you on Facebook. I think it's a kind of seance. I can't imagine sitting in that pale twilight like she does. And I wonder how I could have earned you with such false tragedies, cliched romantics. Finding yourself somewhere between having and loss is a lagging loop, being not with or without. And how do you dislodge, ungraft a patch of something alien? And you said you had to claim yourself, your body and the hairs on it, they are yours. Depression is a parent stuck somewhere between envy and warning. I'm feeling particularly attuned to the sadness that sits behind the eyes of people on the street recently. And more concerningly, there is a personal voidance there. And I think they remind me of my mother. And I think about her death, of the harsh delicacy of things with age. I think of what is worth reconciling, concessions made for her, traumas passed to children, things said and meant and unmeant. Having a cold is like lateral violence for the chronically ill.
more than Southeast. Your vision is a limb. And with this limb, you can extend. And from this extension, I realized that nothing is the background. For where I look is the foreground. There is no front. There is no back. My vision is a limb. We've come to realize that with vision being a limb that everywhere could be the front and all is our horizon, all of it spiraling. No front, no back. Time is fluid, gender is fluid, and so is our direction. So all the uh, performers just want to stand for a second so we can applaud you. Thank if you want to come on up. Thank you so much. Uh, so a big part of uh, Foreground and, and this event was, uh, you know, to it really started as a conversation uh, between Shannon and I um, in the true nature of a conversation we do believe that it never ends uh, it's always emerging it's always horizontal and this conversation extended to to many people and uh, one of our close friends who can't uh, be here today Soretti um, in talking to her about our intentions of the event um, she really brought to our attention the need to ensure that all voices are in the foreground uh, that everyone has the ability to voice and express their opinions and their feelings. And often the conversations and, and the topics where, you know, expressing through poetry and through performance and then through discussion are often left in the background, or often left in private spaces. And today we really wanted to provide the opportunity for these voices, uh, these stories, to be expressed the way in which the expressor wants to express them and to ensure that it's conversational. Um, so again, I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank every single one of you for being brave enough to express that. Um, and now that sort of ends the performance part of the event, uh, and now we'll kind of work our way into, into a discussion um, and into, to continue the conversation. Um, but before we do that, I thought it would be incredible for each of the performers, Aretha, I know you did a little intro at the start for yourself, but each of the performers, just to introduce yourselves, uh, your preferred pronoun, and also just 
I guess, the themes you're exploring in, in your piece. Jonathan, do you want to start? Sure. I'm just trying to catch my breath. Hi, everyone. <laughs> my name's Jonathan. You can call me Johnny. Please never call me Jono. I've been here long enough. I've tried. <laughs> I've lived in, I've really thought it could work. I can't do it. Um, my preferred pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm a Chinese-born, American-raised um, choreographer. Um, Melbourne is my home now, and I guess that was about reminding ourselves that all our intersectionalities are valid and just really just dropping in and having empathy for everyone. Hi, my name's Jo. My preferred pronouns are they, them. Um, I guess I come from a writing background um, and some editing and um, I guess a little bit of visual work as well. Um, and it's been really, it's really exciting that I got to come here tonight. <laughs> it's more exciting for us to have you. Oh, um, so my piece, uh, I guess, looked at and covered a lot of, a lot of different intersections and challenges that um, I guess I've felt. It was quite personal that I felt during my life. So, um, you know, being in Melbourne, like being quite displaced from my family and my origins as well. Um, I guess trauma and sexuality, gender, yeah. Hi, my name's Jacob. Um, you're welcome to call me Jada. That's what I, that's my stage name. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm African-American and Dutch Indo. Um, I was born in Philly, but I grew up in Adelaide and moved here. Um, my work delves into a lot of emotively driven perspectives, mostly autobiographical from what I see, but like also other people. Um, I do a lot of illustration. I do performance. Um, I like to dance. Um, I like to keep my work quite freely open. And my piece was, um, it was strongly correlated to my traumas as a child and how they kind of suppressed me in navigating my adulthood in a way that I would have rather to have done. I don't know, like I feel like it's affected me, but like I'm realizing the tribulations and all the hurdles I had to get over have gotten me to a point of realization and clarity. Um, and I'm optimistic now. <laughs> but yeah, that's I think it's on. Oh, yeah. Uh, my name's Josh. Um, I work predominantly with my collaborative partner, uh, Ichikawa Lee. Um, however, the, the text piece that I read today was by myself. And it, it's kind of about... Um, it's prose, so it's kind of experiential, I suppose. But it's just about just kind of a, a journey of queerness, I, I guess, um, through different times and different locations and how that kind of weaves together was kind of what interested me the most. Um, and like loss and, and gain as well through that, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you want me to speak about this as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this um, sculpture is a neater uh, work of um, 
uh, mine and also Lee's um, that we that we made a while ago, and it's um, kind of I guess supposed to look at um, maybe some points of friction uh, between the body or things that are the scale of the body um, and the architecture, uh, domestic scale, uh, objects that we interact with daily as well, um, and how uh, there can be a point of uh, maybe contention or danger within um, those objects. Uh, and we also worked on this installation with um, Mali as well. Um, Thank so you, Mali. Beautiful. She curated the yeah. set today. Um, I, I think I kind of explained it a little bit before, but I guess it was just, um, I think we all know what tomorrow is, you know? Um, it's a big day, day for me and a lot of Aboriginal mob, but I think leading up to that day tomorrow, I, I've just been so angry lately, you know? Um, for a long time, I didn't, I didn't like talking or uh, talking about my emotions or any of that sappy stuff. I, I didn't, I just got really nervous about it, you know? So I kind of, um... I guess it was just about being a little bit angry and that being warranted, you know? Um, yeah, I guess that's what it was about, you know? Thank you, Thank you all. Um, so a common thread through the performances and obviously through uh, the explanation, this idea of intersectionality, uh, this idea of identity, uh, grappling with that concept and, and the idea of otherness. Um, and I thought I'd sort of kick that off and in exploring and starting the, the questions. Um, and Aretha, I thought it'd be amazing starting with you around this idea, a lot in the piece you were talking about, um, even using colors, white, black, this idea of, this idea of otherness. Um, in your experience, when first did you experience the idea of being other or being, or being othered? Oh, it's <laughs> a big question. Um, I don't know. I guess it's something that I'm slowly starting to realize every single day. You know, unfortunately, being in this country, every single day I'm realizing, kind of to you know my own fault, that a lot of the structures that have been put in place actually aren't there to support me or to benefit or to help me. You know, and that's really tricky to eventually have to learn over time. You know, I feel like I'm at this really strange place right now because it's like I'm here unlearning stuff that I've been taught. You know, I'm unlearning horrible stereotypes about my mob, and I'm unlearning all this heavy shit and non-Indigenous people are learning this stuff, you know, and we're, we're trying to get to this point where we can stand at an equal level and have these discussions. But there's just not this kind of... Um, we're just on different, pla you know, linear planes right now and it, it's really tricky, you know, and I guess this idea of otherness, like I said, it was when I moved back down to Melbourne from living up in the community um, because I just... I don't see myself anywhere in the city, you know? I wish I did, man. Um, even on social media, it, it's not there. And in media, you know, I have NITV, shout out, which is pretty cool. But apart from that, you know, I, I just don't see myself a lot. And that's so tricky because it just means that I haven't got a context to live within, you know. Um, people can't understand me. and People can't understand the problems affecting my community because you don't understand why we are like we are because I, you don't teach, you know, we don't learn my history. We don't learn anything. And so it's really hard to understand someone and to give someone empathy when you can't, understand what's hurting them in the first place, you know? Um, if we taught Indigenous history in schools, um, which is what my activism is based around, that's my, um, I'm kind of 
dipping in and out of art at this point in time. I'm, I would love to be an artist one day. <laughs> um, I think you already are. Oh, I hope so. Um, awkward if I wasn't. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of just being seen, you know? So even just getting up here tonight, even if it wasn't the best poem in the world, you know, I'm trying and you're seeing me and I'm visible. That's enough for me, you know? You know, so, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, so something that came up a couple of times during your introduction was this idea that your traumas informed the person that you are today and there was a sense of, you know, beyond it all, all the hardships, there was this gratitude in the end. Could you speak to that? I'd love to hear more about that. Um, so you spoke to how you, in the end, realised that you wouldn't be the person you are today without those experiences. I don't, I don't necessarily try to think about another way I could have lived my life without that. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not at all in, like, gratitude to those experiences but it's more so the strength that I obtained from learning how to deal with them. I think survival is an inherent thing in all human beings and for a long time my survival mechanism was complacency and to comply like my I've there were opportunities and decisions I would have made differently if I weren't to be in that situation. But to come to a realization now, immersed by people in a community where I can part like be myself and participate and inspire, I think it's, it's a lot more fruitful to know that I came from those experiences. But like anyone else's trauma or anyone else's experiences, I think it's just life you have to get up you have to get on and you have to prevail from what did you wrong mm -hmm. and now we're in a place where we can facilitate that and voices can be heard and i'm, I'm very grateful to be a part of that and joe i'd love to hear your opinion regarding that around you know i guess the the sort of alchemization of trauma almost um, and kind of your experience and how it sort of happened to be expressing it the way that you have? Um, I think like... I, I think of it from a lens now, like in retrospect of... I don't think some of those... Like those traumas wouldn't have happened if I weren't, you know, this idea of other. Um, so... There's an element of, uh, I guess, blame on those things, um, which is like also quite nuanced because I'm at this like point, you know, I always think it's funny saying I'm at this point in my life, but like I'm at this point where I'm like, well, fuck everything and fuck everyone else and like, you know, yeah, I'm brown, I'm queer, I'm like, like, but yeah, I guess some of those things are the reasons 
or like contributed to the reasons that the traumas happened. Um, Can I? Add? I think a note on that is that accountability needs to be addressed as well. Like when you're put into a position where you are deemed as something else and someone lets their emotions over control you, it needs to be recognised and it's like, it, yeah, I think that that's like, being put in a position where someone deems you as that and like, I don't know, like, to, yeah, like for example, like with my father, like when I was younger, I would, I was already exploring my sexuality and my identity, but like he made a decision to hit me and do things. And it's like in that action, it's like you're already it's deemed as the other because you're seen as not worthy of being on the same level or being appreciated in that respect. And it's like, yeah, in that point, it, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that very much. Um, I sort of like to keep this. Uh, I guess, theme of identity, binary, non-binary. I know, Jonathan, your exploration and expression was very much this idea that, uh, this idea of fluidity. Um, you know, how can gender, how can sexuality be rigid? Um, it must be fluid. Um, and kind of growing up in, as an artist, how did that inform how you viewed the world and how you decided to express your view of it? Um, it actually comes from a really dance nerdy thing. Um, it's him, same Steve Paxton. He did a thing called the Small Dance in 1974. Everyone's like, dance history time, get your notebooks. Um, <laughs> but he discusses that there's seven limbs. And I wanted to translate that term about your vision being a limb into a non-dance context. Because I find, particularly, Aretha, you and I are only 12 years apart, but I see something in your generation where your vision has become, like self-awareness is in the forefront of your generation's mind and it's something I'm really grateful for and I feel like fluidity will be the forefront and ignorance will be the other, I hope. I manifest, knock on wood, heads hollow enough. Um, so pardon me, I digressed, but I think it's just more about vision and empathy has led me to come to more fluidity within my body, within consent, within all the other nuances of our lives. I, so just to add on just a little bit, so um, I, I think it's a little bit tricky for me right now because um, setting myself up as an Indigenous activist and going into spaces like this, it's hard because, not even like this, everywhere, you know. Um, often race is seen first and foremost, you know. And so sometimes I get nervous talking about gender and also being a queer person because it's like, oh man, Sometimes I'm not warranted that, you know, I walk into a room and my race is always the first prerogative, you know, this person's indigenous and I can't really see, you know, age or whatever else and that's kind of all I've explored right now and so it's really, I get nervous talking about it, you know, because I just, ha I haven't even, you know, it, it's hard. I also think it's important that I also don't like talking about it and that's okay as well, as long as there's that option, you know, um, I think that for mob to be able to express themselves, obviously we've got to have that, but there should always be the option, because otherwise it, be, it can become draining, you know? Um, sometimes I get up in spaces and, you know, I don't know, it's just really tricky sometimes, you know? Um, and sometimes I'm not allowed to explore that, you know? Because that's not what people are interested in, that's not what they ask me about, and it really comes down to myself and doing that work myself, and that's, that's great, you know? But, man, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> um, 
do you have any self-care regimes for for that <laughs> in terms of like do you know when to tap out um take some time for yourself not really. <laughs> my union hasn't even got a bath at this point. So <laughs> um, I, I guess it's just doing my art, you know? Um, so I can just walk in, I can paint, and I'm just painting squares, you know? That's all I, all I have to worry about is just painting a square or some pattern and a line, and that's great. I'm not worrying about race. It's, it's not gender. It's nothing. It's just me doing this, you know? And I think that's kind of my self-care, you know? So where I can't... Where I don't feel comfortable speaking about race and all that heavy stuff, I can make art about it you know that's a cool thing about art you don't have to talk about it you can show it you know so yeah for me anyway obviously um actually there's a really interesting point you raise around i guess it's you know discussing it to kind of everyone on on this panel has had to really grapple with the idea of identity yeah. and the and the idea that you know what do we identify ourselves as um and there's both the I guess the difficult thing of going, which view of the world do I have and how do I move through the world? Do I move through the world as an indigenous Aboriginal person? Do I move through the world as a queer person? And how does that change how I view the world? Um, I think Josh, to kind of bring you in, I'd love to hear for you how you've kind of moved. I know you sort of spoke about the journey of, of queerness um, and how along the way you felt this sort of grappling with identity and moving through that? It's kind of hard to like specifically talk to it, I suppose, like where like whereabouts um, you, you grapple with identity. I think it's pretty constant actually, you know, like in terms of like de, uh, sort of um, defining yourself, you're, I think you're kind of always relearning um, things you've understood about who you are previously. I, I also think that's kind of one of the, um, for me personally, one of the greatest things about um, like queerness in general is that um, it has been about constantly um, like unlearning and shifting perspective mm. as well and understanding of who you are and how you interact with space around you as well. Um, but I... I, yeah, I wouldn't exact. You know, it's like hard to sort of create a linear, like you know, sort of map of where major things have happened because it doesn't generally happen that way, you know. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's the kind of amazing thing about this generation is this: we really appreciate and are coming to understand this idea of fluidity, you know, and that's incredibly because like there's so many spaces where identity is very much pushed onto you, you know, just like a tiny example, you know, like at school, I finished year 12 last year and every single day I'd walk into class and I'd have to like take the role, like just very normal stuff and they'd put it up on the board and next to my name, there'd be always been an Aboriginal flag next to my name and the only other kids in the class that have to get the Aboriginal flag are, there's like a little uh, first aid stamp for the kids who like the teacher needs to know to uh, register an EpiPen, you know? It's really crazy. And so race has always become the forefront for me, you know? And like, the, you know, the NGV, you know? Like, it's crazy that as a cultural institution, we're still categorizing things by race in that really kind of uh, exacted way, you know? Like there's literally levels for certain races at the NGV now, you know? We, we imagine it to be this holy grail of like, <laughs> you know, uh, leftward thinking, but you go and there's like the English section and then there's the Southeast Islander section and there's the Indian section. 
the Indian section, it's, it's really crazy, you know? Um, like, as if that's still a thing, you know? I think that art is beautiful when it is placed and it's curated in a way where things have meaning next to each other. For example, placing art, Indigenous artwork next to colonial artwork, I think has more meaning than going, okay, here's the English level, here's the white level. Um, and I know this is me dreaming, obviously, and I'm not trying to be vacuous, but if I ever had artwork in the NGV, would, would I be under Australian? Would I be under, under Indigenous Australian? Who's deciding and why, you know? Um, seriously, it's really whack that we still do that. And what it also kind of tells you is that you have the option and people can have the privilege to actually ex like skip and ignore total cultures, you know? You can be like, oh, I'm not going to look at the Indian section. I'm just going to go straight to the, uh, you know, the English one, you know, or, or vice versa, you know? It's, it's really crazy that we still do that. And we imagine these places to, to be, for the most part, progressive, but we see the fluidity and we see that things change and that there's intersectionalities and everything. But we got to start seeing that reflected in cultural institutions and in school curriculums and everything, you know? Um, Do you mind if the NGV then I'm like this is like this is just like the epitome of what we're I'm trying to explain here, you know? Seriously, like there's levels of race. That's whack. That's really weird. That's some like get out stuff. Like let it go, yeah, you know? Like wouldn't it be cool if we had exhibitions where it was something more interesting, like, I don't know, like feminism or philosophy looking at, I don't know, veganism, you name it, and then you had artworks from any era and from different genders and from different races. It's not just set gross stuff that isn't valid anymore, you know? These are colonial structures. Get rid of them. We don't need them. I don't like them. <laughs> I, I think it also comes from, in my arts admin hat on, where older generations are, we want to be more inclusive, but unfortunately they're fetishizing, exotifying other races or other things. So I feel like the institution or the structure means well. It's like theoretical physics. They're trying to program certain things but because they don't have the right values or not, it's something, it's like baking a cake and you put salt or something. It's just like, mm, this cake just tastes a bit funky. Like, and that's where we need to kind of decondition our values and what we put to the forefront of our mind. Yeah. And thank you for sharing those points. And I think it's interesting as well that if, if the idea of like voting with your dollar every time we go to the NGV, that we're essentially agreeing that that categorization yeah, yeah. Is, is needed. Mm. So it's so necessary, you know. People are way cooler than people are way cooler than some, you know, and then these really strict. You know, I didn't have to tell anyone here that binaries suck. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm preaching to the converted here. But like, just once you start realizing these things, I've I know these things because race is always at the forefront. But being often the default and being non-indigenous or you know non, oh being white pretty much I'll say it, whatever. Um, you just, sometimes you don't read those things and they're, they're not as translucent as someone that just walks in and goes, oh, actually, it's kind of weird that, like, they're putting, you know, precious indigenous artwork next to the, you know, on the same wall as the toilets, you know? I went in the other day and they had it. And I'm like, dude, this is, like, this is sacred stuff and it's on the same thing as the toilets, you know? And then and there's these huge grand rooms with, you know, thousands of colonial artworks. And it's like, oh, man, again, I'm not reflected. I get four paintings, they've ticked the box, and, you know, it's crazy, you know? Um... And then you carry that around with you because it's like, oh, man, I don't see myself anywhere. Do I even exist? Literally, the only kind of um, uh, self-reflection I see is seeing other mob in the street. I, I, like, we do, like, the wave. It'll be like, like, like that's it. Like, I, I get NITV, but even then, it's not prime time. So programs, we have a designated spot once again. And if we move from that little spot, whew, you better look out, you know. But it's, it's just 
I don't know. Once you're aware, you get it, you know. But, man, there's, there's so many things, you know. Yeah. Uh, I listen to your podcast. It's really great. Plug, a bit of a plug. <laughs> yeah, plug. <laughs> um, what is it? Aretha Brown. The Aretha Brown Show. I was the Aretha yeah. Brown Show. I'll Very show you iconic later, I name. Swear. <laughs> um, and you spoke about the importance of listening. Um, so I thought I'd open that up to our panel tonight. Um, we're all listening here. What would you want people to hear at this moment in time today? It's a it's a big time for you, I know, especially with Invasion Day tomorrow. Um, I guess the, the biggest thing that you can take out uh, leading up to Invasion Day, uh, it's just crazy busy for me. You know, it, it's almost like mob get warranted these two weeks. And our, like, our politics are confined to these two weeks and anything that slips outside of it, no one really cares about, you know? Um, so I'm just working crazy busy, but I think the crux of what I'm trying to say in all these projects that I'm doing is that the day is a, it's a, it's a lot more complex and it's not as surface level as media portrays it as, you know? Um, at the end of the day, mob or don't, you know, don't all think the same thing and we don't have, all have the exact same belief systems and that's okay, you know? We're complex people like anybody else and there's intersectionalities and... There's bits that cross over and fall, and that's okay, you know? Um, and I think the thing you could take away from it that um, it, it is pretty much, yeah, it, it's a lot more complex than kind of what you've shown, like anything, you know? People are, are complex beings and entities, you know? Um, yeah, so don't, don't, deny our com you know, don't deny our complexity, I think. Anyone else <laughs> want to share? No? You want to jump into another? Um, yeah, how are we doing for time? Is everyone still? Are you with yeah. us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, I think I'd almost like continuing on this theme of having to, you know, being forced to view the world through multiple lens. Um, the idea that, you know, if you take... Uh, I guess a caricature of power in our kind of Western capitalist society, that caricature is a middle-aged white man who earns quite a bit of money. Um, that middle-aged white man may only have to view the world through and interact with the world through one particular lens or in one particular way. Um, and kind of hearing your story, Jacob, about you know, being born in Philly, coming here, and then instantly, I'm assuming, would have to interact with the world in a variety of different ways. What was that experience like for you? And how's that experience changed over time? I don't think I realized until I moved to Melbourne because my sisters were kind of the only black folk that I had ever been around. Like, I would go to school with an afro and people would empty their pencil cases and put it into my hair because it was that coarse. Um, and I knew there was something always wrong with that, but I was just like, oh, fuck, look at me. I'm like, I'm a walking pencil case. Um, um, but my sister, my eldest sister, like, I made my journey here and, like, when I was, like, 15 and just kind of opened my horizons. Like I, like I'd met like people from Mauritius, like South Africa and like all these, like there were like living creatives that were like their mid thirties 
and just gave me everything but hope. Gave me so much perspective on life and I think the realization of that made things a lot clearer because my mum raised us and it was quite a hard struggle for her. So she was, it was a very survival mentality. It wasn't like, and she was ostracized from her family. So it was very hard for her to teach us about her heritage because she was never, um, she never had the knowledge around it. So we were kind of these black bodies without, with question marks on top of our heads where we were just like, what is this that we have facilitated and obtained and that people admire or, or they want to oppress, like we didn't understand. But um, I think there is, there's a beauty in the unknowing and coming from something from that because I've built this understanding around abuse. Like I don't, I don't stand for it, but I can understand the mentality around where people come from. And I feel like if we build conversation and we can communicate with people before they make irrational decisions, the world would be a better place. And if we can talk to, I don't, I don't like, necessarily calling people out as a white male or white men and literally like I know colonization is a horrible thing but I think there are a lot of white people who are allies and who are wanting to participate in helping this world become a better place and that title itself as like the word man affects me white male who is a vulnerable person they do recognize like I, I know a few who do recognize that privilege and who do get affected by it. And it's, I feel like we need to console in that. And I know that puts a lot of weight on our shoulders because it's like, there's no recognize, there's like how long has it been for them to have to recognize that we're just as valid as they have always been. But I feel like there is still space of understanding and I think we're gonna get to a point where that is there. Um, yeah, did I answer? She'd love to, um, this question that I've kind of been, I guess, like wrestling with at times is, um, and I kind of would put it out to the panel is, is how much empathy or compassion is too much empathy and compassion for the oppressor or for the people who are categorizing us? You know, how much empathy and compassion is too much? I think it's finding the balance of finding empathy but not putting the responsibility that I'm going to be everyone's teacher because you feel this obligation like oh that's actually not my duty I feel like you feel like an intuition in your gut that's like I am meant to educate this with you and we could my kind of mantra is if I could break one person's ignorance a day I've done a good job mm -hmm. I, if, I, if I tried to quantify how much ignorance I'm trying to break I'm going to so self-tabotage I'm already a fucking Capricorn I can't deal with it um <laughs> So I think it's just taking it one moment at a time and feeling satisfied in that moment with your presence and your body and your safety about empathy. And I think just take it one moment at a time. I think when we do this super lonely planning, it kind of shoots us off ourselves in the foot sometimes. I know I've done that to myself, so I've just tried to take care of my body and my culture and my gender one moment at a time. And hopefully there'll be two moments, maybe three, hell, even four, if I'm lucky. It's hard to like know when to step in as well. Mm. Like, uh, like when, 
you're in a situation and you're like, I need to speak up, but like, where can I like, do I just intervene or like, I think that's been a hard thing to navigate and in knowing that you can speak up about a wronging. And it, like, especially in like workplaces, I think um, sexuality, race, all of these intersection, intersecting like ideas, they really come to the forefront and it's like in a split second, it's like, I don't know, even overhearing a conversation, like I was mad for like a really long time. But like I, like you sit down and you assess why that anger is and it's like, you learn about it, you read books, you delve into history and then you put into perspective where your life is and I think you just need to know when it is right. I don't know. Mm. I think like it's really basic, a really basic way of looking at it but I think for me as long as someone's ready to listen then then it can all go from there if they listen they have the capacity to have empathy and then it's on them if they give a shit yeah thank you and I know Aretha sort of spoken a number of times about this, uh, almost like an expectation on uh, indigenous peoples to have to educate non-indigenous peoples. Um, and obviously leading up to, to tomorrow as well, um, how have you, like what's your views on, on this? I guess to a certain extent sometimes a, a forced expectation for, for the other to have to educate uh, the person. Um, I don't know, some, sometimes I do honestly wish it wasn't me that has to do it every time, you know? Um, like, I, I'm, only, I, I'm only 18, you know, and I, I'm trying my best, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to speak about it as much as I can and to anyone, but it does take a toll, you know? Um, and I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And for me, empathy can only be built when, when stories are, like, you know, are told and you can understand someone's history, you know? My grandma, um, Indigenous elder, um, Arnie Janice Brown from Blacktown, shout out, in western suburb of Sydney. Um, um, she, she always told me this one thing, and it's, it's, just, it's the best advice I ever got, you know, it follows me in my activism, but um, you have to ask why, you know, why people, why are people are like they are, you know, why are some people, why do some people act in certain ways, and why are some people affected by certain things, you know, because once you, you go back and you, you kind of ask why, you tread back and you keep, you know, go back in the line, you kind of realize that it's the same, it stems from the similar places, you know? Um, and like I said, because we don't teach indigenous history, because we don't see enough indigenous stories, empathy can't be built with us because you don't know what's affecting us or why or who or how many or anything, you know? Um, I know non-indigenous people that don't even know the simple stuff, you know, just like, and that, that's okay as well, you know, just knowing stuff like what treaty means or knowing what reconciliation means or knowing what, you know, the Aboriginal flag colours mean, you know, because there's always meaning to them, you know, always. There's meaning in everything, you know. As much as people won't tell me there is, there's always meaning in something and I will find it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, you have to meet us halfway with conversations, you know. I will always sit down and have someone, with someone and have a conversation about certain things, but you've got to meet me halfway with the basic stuff, you know. Um, don't come into the conversation wanting to know um, 
stuff you could Google, let's be real. You know, if you could Google it, probably don't ask me. You know, if it's something a bit more personal, then it's actually my, uh, my right to decide whether or not I want to talk about it, you know? And that's, that's okay as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's just tricky, you know, because when white is the default, anything that's outside of that is you have to, you have to talk about it all the time, you know? <laughs> and um, it's so tricky, you know? Um, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just getting to me. I get crazy. I get twitchy eye now. Talk about it so much about race. And it gets to me. I get, yeah. It's <laughs> um, but, yeah. I, I, do, I do other things as well. I'm not just Aboriginal. I love to dance. I'm going to marry young Mick Jagger. I think he's incredible. <laughs> the eyeliner, the bee stung lips. I love it. Um, I like snorkeling and certain things like that. Okay. There's people are complex, guys. Come on. Angie Reed, lend us a hand. We're here. We're like, we could just storm it now, you know? We could just like make it some, some cool exhibitions. Not Turn just it into a performance art. Yeah, let's do it. We're all here. We're in numbers. Come on, comrades. Let's bloody do it. I don't I have the confidence of a straight middle-aged white man. And I'm a young indigenous girl. I don't get and give a fuck. I have no allegiance to anyone. I'm not being paid. It's fine. Like, let me leave. <laughs> Finish it up on that note, actually. <laughs> Thank you very much for your thank braveness and joining us. Um, I can't say thank you enough. Um, it's such an honour to sit here with all of you among my peers and <laughs> my inspirations. Um, Shout out to Oscar for holding down the sonic mood. <laughs> and, of course, thank you, M Pavilion, for providing these platforms. They are so important for these contemporary voices to be heard. Thank you very thank much. You, thank you. And we, um, we actually didn't... Uh, we were meant to talk about it earlier, um, but we also wanted to provide the opportunity for for you guys to be able to ask any sort of burning questions. Um, you know, we're trying to involve it, as I mentioned, as a conversation. Um, and I guess it has been a, a more of a lecture-esque style. Um, so please, if there are any burning questions, put your hand up. Oh, here we go. Hello. <clears throat> um, my question as it's hard to speak off the top of your head, but basically I'm curious about what people's thoughts are on maybe the imprints of past generations and what happens in the past and how that could affect you in the present, especially in terms of, in a way of maybe something you don't even know that it happened and whether that type of thing can show up and those traumas create who you are now and in that sense as well, how that may affect the future. That's that's just something I was curious what people's thoughts were on that. I think for me, I need to deal with intergenerational trauma like metaphysically. It's really through my spiritual practice and I have to give myself a quota. I have this intuition I can feel my mother's side and my right shoulder girdle. Of course, the dancer says shoulder girdle. Um, but I, I know it's there and I know I'm meant to decipher it, but I have to kind of do it piece by piece. I feel for myself to unpack my intergenerational trauma, I wouldn't be able to go to work the next day. I would probably just be a vegetable. I don't know if I have the capacity yet. I hope to one day deal with it head on. But I feel, I know for me, it's just a piece at a time. Maybe it's a little bit of reading. 
little bit of self-discovery. I know for myself, um, my mother and my father were both estranged from all their relatives, so I actually had to swap the DNA, do all of it myself, and so I kind of just pick at it a little bit every day and just, again, feel satisfied in each moment. I think um, I... So my mother um, moved to Australia to a regional town, very isolated and isolated from her family um, about 30 years ago. Um, I moved with her and my dad. Um, and so what she left behind, I guess, was this very uh, community-based family kind of situation um, where her cultural practices were really strong. Um, and I think moving to a regional town, which was very white in Victoria, my dad being white as well, um, her having no access to an Indian or Hindu community here, uh, there was a lot left behind. Um, and that's been something that I guess in the last few years I've really thought about a lot. Um, something that I am beginning to, rather than, I guess, rebut the idea of, but uh, wanting to know more. But I guess I just don't know how that will happen. I'm not super close to my mother. Um, and I guess once, I guess without her, that connection to my home and to her, like, her cultural background will be lost, and that's really sad for me. Yeah. Anyone else, anyone else on the panel want to discuss that question? All good? Oh, he's back. Because for me, I didn't actually know I was Syrian until my father passed away, so I think even if you don't have your mother as a as an impetus, I think you can still discover your culture in different ways, and maybe that's through your art practice, and there might be other modalities. Like, sometimes through restriction, we find really beautiful things, and I know you're so intelligent, articulate, and I'm really excited for you. How do you unfurl that through that restriction? Um, does anyone else have a, a question? I had a question about poetry. There was a fair number of poetry performances, and I was wondering about your personal, each artist's personal journey to um, kind of discovering poetry and how you found it healing or what you derive it from it as a practice. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, poetry was always a way of kind of, as, as similar to like also um, my sculpture practice uh, was a way of sort of um, just unpacking the things that were occurring around me. So I don't think I actually ever like never did any sort of formal writing practice or um, like training and or really had much concept of how to write poetry. Um, so it kind of was more uh, about finding a way to uh, talk about the things that were like occurring or a way of recording initially and then also became uh, in some sense also a, a way of visual art making as well in terms of the way that text actually sits on a on a page too um, and the and, and also uh, the way that 
um, you know, language and and written language is also uh, in a lot of ways sort of like a kind of this violent thing also, you know, talking and, and also um, and, and writing can other th- have been used to, you know, are often used against you as a, as a sort of mode of oppression in a sense also, um, and how you can reclaim uh, words and text as sort of a, as a thing of power also for yourself is quite nice, I think. My use of poetry is specifically from Skinner Release Technique. Um, Skinner Release Technique is a somatic practice in the early 60s by Joan Skinner. She's 96 years old, she's still kicking on. Um, But she uses text to heal injuries, so you would do a dance about being a puppet, and she has this certain verbiage you would use about your knees being connected to the sky and to the ether, and then all of a sudden your knee would get better. And that's how I kind of deal with my physical traumas when I hurt my hip when I was 16. So it's for me, poetry is more the verbiage for my body to actually drop in so that I can actually empower myself. Um, I actually had like a speech impediment when I was younger. So I couldn't actually speak properly. And then I was very nervous, so I never spoke much. But then I started getting into Buddhist readings and they have a lot of mantras and... I would start writing myself mantras that I would read in the morning every day. And drawing was always a big part of my life. And it visually seeing something is hard when, like I've, I've, a lot of my practices intersect and they overlap in a way where it's, they inform each other. And a lot of my writings come from my journal and then I, yeah, it's just an evolution. I feel like the word poetry or anything, it, it, it's very obtainable with any language. Um, but yeah, that was. That was um, any uh, other beautiful people have any other questions that they want to ask or? Probably overlapping a little bit on the pretext of this whole curatorial event, but what really inspired you to bring these conversations to the foreground and how is everyone feeling about these conversations being had in a central place? Like, I think we really need to touch on that because such openness and sincerity and performance art being held in the centre of Melbourne, like, how does everyone feel and what brought us here? What brought you here? Josh and Shannon and the artists. Do you want to answer that? Yeah. Um, we, we sort of felt like these conversations weren't being had unless there was a sense of urgency or tragedy. So we really wanted to bring them into light in, in, a, in a space where it was being celebrated, that these conversations were sort of being destigmatized as well and and shared more often and um, people were seen in a very public celebrated space because they should be more often. How does it feel to be here? Um, 
I, f I think it feels great to have conversations where I don't feel exotified. I usually go, here's the one queer artist. Look at them go. Look at them dance in that G-string leotard. Or whatever it may be. It's some sort of like, look at this beautiful object or thing. And I feel like this talk today has been, it just is. And there's no questioning or like reconfirming. It just is. And everything is beautiful and all of us are. And it just is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for that as well, uh, um, and it is very much, uh, you know, for context, I own a meditation studio, so I'm very much, um, uh, I guess, involved in, in different meditative practices and, and principles and theories. And um, you know, there's this Buddhist principle around impermanence, um, that obviously we all know that everything is impermanent, yet we feel as though our gender, our sexuality, our race, in quotation marks, our ethnicity, that these things are permanent. Um, and to have the opportunity to both allow people to perform and express their views on this, um, that we're constantly, we're constantly changing and that irrelevant of, you know, the color of our skin, irrelevant of our sexuality, our, our gender, our place of birth, that there are things that transcend that you know, hope, fear, jealousy, love, like they don't know of ethnicity, like they don't know of gender, you know, they're, they're not cultured, like we all, we all experience it. Um, and I think that was a really a, a reason of trying to bring beautiful people together um, who on face value, on the surface level, look different. But after you conversate with a while, you're like, Oh damn, like, I burn the toast too. Damn, you know what I mean? Like, I like ghee instead of butter. You know, like, you kind of learn over time through conversation that it actually breaks those perceived things down. And I think it's very difficult living in a, a culture and a, and a system, and, 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 and not even that, the fact that like, as human beings, as a, as a species, it serves us very well. There's an evolutionary purpose to labeling things and quickly moving through the world. You know, if we, if we contemplated that if that was a seat or not, we wouldn't really get much done. We need to know that that is a, that that is a seat. Um, we need to know that it has utility and it has a purpose, but then as soon as you go, this person is this, that same ability starts to get really gray and, and tricky. And I think the opportunity for all of us to be able to explore that grayness together is, is really important in a, in a public space. And I think that's a, a key thing is like, and I, you mentioned, Aretha, that the people here are, the, are most likely the people that have already heard these things, you know? And I think being able to plant a seed here where one topic that we're talking about changes the way in which you have a conversation with someone who needs to, who needs to listen to what we've listened to today and, and seen, I think that's the ripple effect that that an event like this can, can have in a public setting and if it's reserved to a private setting, not to say that doesn't have the same ripple, it just might not be a, the heaviest of stones. So, um, so yeah, I think it's important. Um, any other questions? Amazing, well I'm hearing Craig David in the back so it's definitely time to, to, <laughs> to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. Um, so thank you so much for 
coming out, you could have been doing anything else in the world right now, but you decided to be here, so thank you very, very much. Um, yeah. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. Visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>